Welcome to IEP Radio, a show dedicated to the education of all things indoor environmental quality related. And now here's your host, Michael Schrantz. Welcome everybody to IEP Radio. This is episode 11 and today we're going to be talking with Eric Doninger. Um, Probably when I think about all of the clinicians I've worked with uh, over the years, uh, one of the best closest relationships I've had. I have the utmost respect for this guy. He has taught me so much, brought me into his circle of trust and learned so much about chronic illness. And, you know, it's this whole village thing that we've been talking about on this podcast. You know, it's it's multiple angles that's working together with people. And as an IEP, we're, we're trying to diagnose that home. But, you know, that doesn't mean we understand health. We're not trying to play doctor out there in the field. And I think that's where a lot of us go wrong, where we need to take a step back and learn about the clinical side of this, uh, looking at those patients and see how we can um, synergistically, you know, work together, find that testing and, and, and see how we can help answer ex- questions of exposure and um, help address that ultimate goal, maybe of recovery or sanctuary, that sort of thing. So I'd like to welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Doninger, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Wow, circle of trust. Yeah. Meet the talkers, I'm in, baby. <laughs> yeah, so good to see you, Michael. You know, you're my, you're my partner in crime on this dynamic duo approach we have to do for getting service patients to the finish line. If we can't get these people into clean, good quality air, it's an obstacle cure that we cannot get out of the way. And then cases get confusing. We were just chatting a little bit about how you might also have comorbidity, you might have mast cell activation syndrome, or you might also have cerebral palsy, or you might also have um, a gastric bleed, and, and SERS might participate in that in, in regards to Richie seeing something like mild gastritis and higher amounts in our SERS patients because of the lack of MSH and, and border protection these patients have for their tubal linings. But at the end of the day, if you can't clear biotoxin pathway and get that reset of hypothalamus regulation of the body, uh, these patients are going to have all kinds of other shenanigans that they're doctor hopping for. So and without, you, without you, I'm telling you, you guys always smile and, and, and think I'm hitting on you because of the bromance I have for anybody who is able to really get down and dirty with me and say, is this building frigging clean? And, and the reason that's so dear to my heart is I've just seen so many failed experiments with glutathione or uh, tonifying systems or versions of functional medicine or misdiagnoses um, because we can't get real with the criteria that defines SIRS and the first step. You need to be in clean building. So it's, it's crazy, you know, I, and, and I, there's so much. I mean, even in the in the last two or three minutes, what you've just absorbed and heard from Eric, uh, it just shows you how complicated it can be. It sure is a far step away from like that typical doctor's visit where you go in their office for eight minutes, they check vitals, uh, treat for symptoms. Um, even a lot of us IEPs now know that story to be true. It, it It's crazy how somebody who maybe started in a conventional medicine approach in school can transition. And I, I don't want to pry too much, Eric, but what about, what about your background? I mean, how did you get involved um, with, in functional medicine, if I'm even saying that right? Yeah, that's a good question. So I thought I wanted to be an ER doc, actually. I started riding with the ambulance, and, and emergency medicine makes sense to me. But I realized that the job of the ER is to make sure you don't die today. That's it, and it's a big job. It's an important job, but I have to make sure if I was an ER doc, so you up, make sure that you're not bleeding out, uh, make sure you're not, you're not taking your own life if you're in suicidal crisis, et cetera, et cetera. 
then I just discharge you back to your dysfunctional physiology, right? I just send you back out there and you're off having multi-symptoms, multiple systems involved. You're, 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 you're just miserable. You're financially struggling sometimes. You're cognitively struggling. Uh, sexual function isn't there. Uh, ability to have a good workout and get out in nature isn't happening. And I, I just said there's got to be a better way. So when I was riding with the ambulance, I'm grateful for the exposure I had for all the miracles of modern medicine and, and things like drugs and surgery and what we can do to manipulate and override biochemistry to keep people here. But two thirds or three quarters of all medical problems are chronic illness. These are people who are not in the ER or if they went in, they went for a UTI for the fifth time and no one figures out why they keep getting UTIs. And then they're discharged back into their life. So I had a vision, a true vision of healthcare and what could be in this world. And I was telling a platonic girlfriend at the time, she and I were BSing about healthcare. And she said, oh, that's naturopathic medicine. There's this philosophy you're envisioning is naturopathic medicine. It already exists. You're not the first one to think this way. And uh, um, I went on this thing called the internet um, back in the early 90s and up came Bastyr University in Seattle, uh, National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, which is now National University of Naturopathic Medicine, or Nunham, and Southwest in um, Arizona. And okay. there was literally the school name, address, and telephone number. And you called the telephone number, got your swag bag of all the pamphlets and all this cool stuff. And it was something called the therapeutic order that lit my heart on fire. I mean, woke me up. And, and I had been through my own health stuff. I had had an interesting run with drugs and alcohol. And, and um, my health was not uh, a good expression of uh, life potential and, and how I wanted to live my life. And I really had, uh, I'll spare you all the details of my personal journey, but this massive um, brush with death and, and not feeling well that made me say, all right, got to find my purpose in life. And as I started to heal myself, this pursuit in, in uh, a better way to do healthcare um, became my passion. And the, the therapeutic order is what drew me to it. And I actually spoke on this at the Arizona conference with Dr. Shoemaker. If you remember, I, I overlaid the therapeutic order with the, I'm getting my hair is raising, with Richie Shoemaker's um, Biotoxin Pathway Treatment Protocol. Right. And the very first step of therapeutic order is remove obstacle to cure. And because cure is such a loaded word, we say remove obstacles to healing, right? Because a lot of times our, our patient population, your client population, we're taking from a D minus or an F up to maybe a C plus, B minus to start. And then we try and polish him to a B plus, A minus. They're probably never going to be an A plus, but nor is their friend who's going type two diabetes from pub grub and, you know, three vice beers every night yeah. and, and their sedentary lifestyle and being overtaxed and all that other stuff. So if you get these people up um, to, to B plus physiology up from a D minus F, they're pretty stoked on their new quality of life and, and they can um, engage in marriage and, and be a better parent and, and start making money again. And, and so on and so forth. So it was that remove obstacles to healing that blew my mind. I said, that's how my brain is thinking. I got to go hang out with the bumblebees who are also thinking that way. The second step is reestablish healthy regimen. And this is a lot of times what a SERS patient comes to our office already have uh, having in place. 
That's things like kick toxic relationships to the curb, uh, drink healthy water and high, uh, drink lots of water and stay hydrated, eat healthy food. A lot of our SERS patients are paleo. They're doing yoga and CrossFit. They're hydrated. They're going to bed on time. They're taking tech fasts. They are not better. Why? There's an obstacle in the way to their physiology. And then the third step is stimulate the VES. VES is vital force. That's some of the Wim Hof stuff. Do the breathing, cold showers, acupuncture, hit the right homeopathic remedy, do some of the Chinese Qigong stuff, maybe certain Kundalini yoga, that kind of stuff. And then the fourth one, the fourth step is tonify systems. And even though I believe in supplements and nutraceuticals, right, you don't have a turmeric deficiency. You don't have a CBD THC deficiency. You don't have a ginger deficiency. These are novel anti-inflammatories that are very powerful medicines if implemented properly in dosage, but um, they're not an obstacle to cure. And then the fifth one's correct structural integrity. You could actually hurt someone um, if you adjust their neck, right? But sometimes getting a neck adjustment or putting a rib in is the best thing since sliced bread. It's just, it comes with a higher risk for harm versus, hey, go to bed a little earlier. Right. Sometimes, sometimes that ox- obstacle, I mean, not to transition so quickly, but yeah. it feels like you can do these things, but if they're in a, something, in an environment that's triggering them, it doesn't matter what you're doing or what rib you're putting back in place or how much yoga they're doing in a day. How does that fall in your line of work? This is what we see a lot of times, a majority of the clinicians that I work with and a lot of the colleagues that, you know, we share, sto- you know, stories and what it's, it's the it's it's always about the environment. I mean, in, in chronic illness, is it like can every industry point at the home or the building and go, this is likely a trigger? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I'll just say the sixth one because it kind of closes the Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I'm trying to yep. No, no, it's perfect. That we're we're doing the circle today. Okay. Right? Well talk about circle, circles. Okay. Circle of trust. And you can trust in the therapeutic order. It never fails me, nor does the biotoxin protocol. And we'll get we'll get from Dr. Shoemaker, but we'll, we'll get to that. The sixth one is drugs and surgery. I'm not a medical racist. I don't think that conventional model for chronic illness is stupid. I just think it's limited, right? So drugs and surgery, when judiciously applied, make total sense. But that probably means we'd be doing 10% of our back surgeries, right? So go back to that fifth one. And you were talking about our chronically ill. I think it's crazy to neck adjust uh, a SERS patient who's totally inflamed before stripping that inflammation. So I go out on the road and I treat, uh, I teach holistic MDs and NDs and DCs and and nurse practitioners and and acupuncturists. And and I, I tell a lot of the chiros, I'm like, you guys are crazy to touch some of the bodies you're working on with high force intervention before you strip some of that inflammation out there with diet and lifestyle, but, but again with SIRS. And, and to what you were just saying with that remove obstacle or cure, let's just take biotoxin out of the, out of the uh, game for a second. If we have someone who we miss their sleep apnea, you have a very similar picture to biotoxin because the patient goes hypoxic, <laughs> right? We just diagnosed my dad with apnea because his blood pressure was out of control. And the underlying cause for his hypertension wasn't lack of meds. It was sleep apnea. He was having 98 events per hour. You're supposed to have five or less. So he was literally getting his restorative sleep disrupted more than every 45 seconds. Understood. Right. So the, we know from the biotoxin pathway, 
one of the reasons you get multi-system, multi-symptom illness is your capillaries, not if we put a, a, a pulse ox on your finger here, but your capillaries don't deliver oxygen into the cell to make 38 units of energy or ATP per glucose molecule burned. And you go into anaerobic metabolism or eight molecules of ATP per glucose molecule burned. And when I explain that to patients, I try and keep it blue collar. I just say two people start at Target. They're both in $20,000 credit card debt. They have massive debt. It's a 30% credit card interest. It's a high interest card. They both get hired for the same job. One gets eight bucks an hour. The other gets 38 bucks an hour. Who's getting out alive, right? right? So our SERS patients don't make energy, nor do our sleep apnics, nor does someone with anemia, nor does someone who's been smoking their whole life. They've destroyed their lung parenchyma and now they can't exchange oxygen. So chapter six of Surviving Mold, one of the most powerful chapters I've ever read from any doctor, Dr. Shoemaker, uh, follow the oxygen, right? So you're saying, so how do we get it into patients' heads that there might be more than diet and exercise, diet and lifestyle at play here? You got me on the seat on my edge, you know, on the the edge of my seat here, because you're telling us something, but you're not giving us everything. So what is it? Yeah, so, so you have to have SIRS. That, so, so the biggest problem with functional medicine is people are focusing on diet and lifestyle and how to function better and how to nutraceutical load. I'm down with all of it. None of it gets breakthrough healthcare experiences if you miss the obstacle to cure, uh. right? And that's why I say I don't do functional medicine primarily. I do it secondarily. I do diagnostic medicine first. If you're SIRS and I give you turmeric or glutathione or I give you CBDs, all of your symptoms will improve. You'll feel a little bit better. And that's important to keep people going. But you won't graduate from healthcare. And we don't like codependency in our clinic. We don't like abandonment either. We want to stay there with you. But we want to graduate you from our office. Gotcha. So right. what, you, what kind of, what are you looking at then? Or what, what you're obviously establishing that there's a certain order or process that's effective. I know that to be true just because I know, I know you. Yeah. What, where do we start? I mean, you, like you said, you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't do chiropractic work on somebody with inflammation, yeah. uh, maybe someone who had CIRS. So we don't start yeah. there. Yeah. So I'm still looking for that main line to God. I want to just have my red phone and call them and be like, what is the underlying causes for Fair this enough. patient, right? Fair enough. Um, no one's given me a crystal ball that works yet, yeah. right? So when a patient comes in and they have this laundry list of symptoms, which by the way, conventional model calls diagnoses. This is a problem. IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah, thanks doc. I could have told you I'm gassy and bloaty and my bowels are irritable all the time. I figured it out. You have chronic fatigue syndrome. There it is. I know, jackass. I just told you that I'm tired all the time, and yep. you're telling me I have tired all the time syndrome, right? Yep. So we come in with these laundry of symptoms that are, are made into ICD-10 diagnoses, and they're not. They're just symptoms. So from there, and Richie Shoemaker is one of my top three uh, guides to, to staying clean on this. From there, as a doctor, you're supposed to write a differential diagnosis of this could be causing all these things, 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 or some of them, or what we usually see in the SERS patient, um, many straws that are breaking the camel's back. You know, maybe we do have some diet and lifestyle to work on, but um, 
And then you go to the laboratory uh, evaluation, you go to the imaging evaluation to prove yes or no, your differential diagnosis is right or you're wrong. And that's called ruling stuff in or ruling stuff out. Now, why I thank God for Dr. Shoemaker every day. I, I am I'm dead serious on that. We would be sick as hell, my, my personal family, because we are um, activated service patients who are now treated and, and functional again. But the, the criteria, the laboratory diagnostics, getting a visual contrast sensitivity test, looking at clustered symptoms, now loading on the neuroquant, which is a, a brain MRI on steroids, and now the genie test can definitively tell us if SIRS is the diagnosis or not. Can you, not to change the subject uh, too yeah. much, but can you, can you elaborate just an ounce on the genie? I know that's a newer term for a lot yeah. of us. Yeah, so basically, um, uh, I think one of the best ways to do it is compare Genie to um, 23andMe. Oh, okay. Because a lot of people do 23andMe, um, and that's just something people are uh, familiar with. 23andMe looks at SNPchip technology, and SNPchip technology just looks at if you have genes or not. That's all it looks at. So let's take the celiac gene, the HLA-DQ2 or the HLA-DQ8. Just having that gene doesn't guarantee you have celiac. And we've talked about this. Genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. Genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. So if I have that celiac gene and I have never been exposed to gluten, good luck America, right? I've never had waffles, I've never had pizza, I've never done pasta loading for the soccer tournament, right? right. Um, if I've never had exposure, I grew up on the Galapagos Islands and I'm eating bark and berries and fish, right? God bless you. Um, yeah, you, you're not going to be diabetic. You're not going to have heart disease. You're probably going to be pretty happy. Um, you're going to be virile. You know, you're going to run around. Uh, you know, maybe there's a little Lord of Flies, and 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 you go. Uh, You'd be lucky uh, to find a loincloth. That's all. Yeah, that's right. Yep. But um, if you don't get the exposure, the gene doesn't wake up. So what 23andMe does, all it does is it looks at: Do you have these genes? Good genes and bad genes, right? What Genie does is it says, are the genes turned on for better and worse? And that's called transcription and translocation. So to take genetic code from your nuclei and turn it on, you need transcription translation, which is um, basically something called messenger RNA that basically codes the proteins. So you've heard uh, us talking about MMP9 and C4A and C3A and TGF-beta-1. These are all um, uh, genetic turn-ons that then show up in the bloodstream. So before we had Genie, it was still plenty to, to diagnose a SERS case. You would look at the HLA, which is, um, HLA means human leukocyte antigen or in plain English on chromosome six immune response genetics. Do you have genes for inflammatory diseases from mom and dad, right? Do you have genes for, and there's HLA for everything, right? There's, we are unwinding HLA. There's HLA for psoriatic arthritis and ankylosis spondylitis and celiac and SIRS. And everyone's like tripping out on MTHFR. And I'm like, that is so downstream. The action is on chromosome six because those are the genes of inflammation. And that's what I deal with all day. Dealing with dementia, inflammation. Dealing with calcified plaque in the arteries, inflammation. Dealing with depression, inflammation. You saw Dr. Ackerley's presentation in Arizona. Yep. Every single mood disorder 
has elevated interleukin-6, which is an inflammatory marker, they're all based on inflammation, attention deficit, schizophrenia, depression, uh, autism, uh, ADD, yada, yada, yada. So what we had initially from Richie's hard-ass work, I mean, unbelievable what he's done over the last two decades, is we had the gene and we could look at what I call performance markers to show is that uh, static gene we looked at turned on. Right. It was, it was a little bit of a, um, uh, a leap's not the right word, but it was, it was. Did you say ancillary data? It was just something to yeah, indicate. That, that's right. And, and very, uh, and the reason I'm so confident in that method is because Richie proved that you could use those um, performance markers to prove exposure and then to prove the treatment was working and then to normalize the patient. Yeah, right. 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 Now what Jeannie does is it can tell us, if you think um, Michael Schrantz, and this is where you're on the hot seat, brother, if you think Michael Schrantz's clearance testing uh, is true or not, and they're only living in the building you cleared, yep. we can see if actinomyces or endotoxin or, um, or molds uh, are still turning on inflammation in that body. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's where it gets really exciting. This would be, I was going to say that this would be, uh, this is a fantasy in the making because um, back in uh, Salisbury, I think 2018, when they had little, you know, surviving mold get together, I think Dr. Jimmy Ryan, who's been a big part of this whole transcriptomic research and uh, that whole thing. He had, he, they, we were trying to dumb it down probably of all the audience members for me the most and talk about what can this help us do? Never mind the clinical uh, approach. You've already kind of shown that value or at least indicated it uh, for IEPs. How does that translate in very plain English? And the, and here's the very plain English. You, there may be a day uh, there, you could say maybe qualitatively there already is this, but there'll be a way that this solidifies to the point where a doctor can call you up with a mutual client where there's permission to talk and they could be, we know that there's a gram positive bacteria causing inflammation in this home. Um, we want you to focus on that. And it's just, it's one more opportunity for the I, it's one more tool for us to use and correlate to save these people money, not waste it. Cause this yeah. is the issue is a lot of the testing sure. in the field, people are spending um, arguably thousands of dollars in the end uh, just to assess, not even necessarily to remediate, repair, and maintain sanctuary. Right. And so I would be, you know, hot seat for the validity of my own testing. Yeah, you're right. We, I've never claimed perfection. In fact, most of my reports are disclaimers about all the limitations because we do right. respect what we know and don't know. But what I would argue is I'd love to have something like that. How fantastic of a tool would that be to talk with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the patient, and say, well, we have spoken with your doctor and he or she has indicated that you have upregulation, downregulation of a particular gene, and we can tell that this is the type of contaminant that can cause it. It may not even be microbial um, related. It may be chemical, um, household products, um, off-gassing of building sure. materials. It seems like the sky's the limit. Well, and I, and I think you're laying the future where we already try and Robin Hood. Remember, rich people get SIRS too, and, um, and it's no joke. You can have all the money in the world, and your life still sucks. Yep. right? Because your physiology doesn't work. But that's where we try in Robin Hood. We serve them at our highest. And then these tricks that you're suggesting, Genie is expensive. Genie is a pain in the butt to draw. You have to dry ice it. It can only get pulled on Monday. You need an in-house phlebotomist if you want to micromanage it and make sure it gets done right. And it's, it's not 
a refined test in regards to practicalities yet. Right. You know, you have to have failed traditional surge treatment in our office because that's still relatively cheaper. Um, but you're right where the future is probably, we say, um, and, and again, if I get braggadocious, it's, it's about my peers that I get to learn from. You'll hear me brag about Dr. Shoemaker. You will definitely hear me brag about Michael Schrantz as what I think. And, and again, don't blush on me, brother, but you're the number one IEP in, in the globe the way you're an academic and you have the blue collar. Uh, and I think that that's what you need. We were just talking before we got on about another textbook you have for your world. I don't know many IEPs who study and you need to. Yeah. Otherwise you just got like a little weekend course right. and you your job. But I think the future is if I wanted that main line to God to get my differential diagnosis ironed out, you'd want God to grant you x-ray vision. Right. Yeah. So you could see behind every wall. And when we refer someone to you, even though I tell them, look, you're not going to get better in the industry, but Mr. Trance also doesn't have x-ray vision. And if you really want to see uh, everywhere where you could have water damage, you have to do destruction of every single wall, what, what you guys would call uh, destructive inspection, right? So we're trying to figure out, is there water damage or microbial growth behind that wall without demoing the wall. And so maybe that's, maybe that's a great transition because you're, you've touched only on about a thousand uh, valid topics here that I, yeah. I can salivate at. But one, one that strikes really close to me is this, it's the passion that we both have to help clients. Um, yeah. You know, you, you got to fall in love with the work because the work will wear you out otherwise. And it's also not to go total off course here, but it, I find a lot of people, they start in it because they've had an exposure, you being an example of that, they've experienced it firsthand. So it's like that whole thing, almost dying and then believing. Uh, because well, for, but, but I would say it was twofold for me, I, you know, we talked about this and what we want to talk about, but it's my native Austrian father. Yeah. Eric, if you're going to do something, do it right the first time. Right. And, and for me, I was never satisfied, even with my naturopathic training, which got closer to, are we really getting diagnoses for these patients? So it was always about problem solving. I've been doing what I call mystery illness for 18 years, but for the first 10, I didn't, I wasn't taught SIRS. So it wasn't on my differential diagnosis. Yeah. Right. And I'm a guy who's dedicated my life to, solving the unsolvable right so you're never gonna i mean it would be a rare day with pigs flying over the moon for your primary your average primary care to pick up that we need to run serves on you right. right and that's where we have to bring this into the naturopathic medical schools and the conventional medical schools and it's so weird that richie's been so turned away by his own alma mater duke university i mean he's a juggernaut so, so yes, I, I appreciate the, the passion, but for me, it's like I always wanted to solve problems. Then I truly think it was divine intervention where God wanted me to understand just how hardcore this illness is. Right. And that's where we've talked about, I've had 41 isolated water damage experiences in my one home. Yeah. And that's where, you know, at the risk of sounding haughty or stupid or just being goofy, I'm a better IEP than most of them out there. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I, I know, I know clinicians that, um, are, are, are quick studies and, and, you know, I know guys and girls that are out there practicing, yeah. um, who they're just old dogs and, uh, right, wrong or indifferent. They, uh, not to get, you know, 
totally off topic, but it's, it's important here. And that is they don't even understand the difference between looking at an exposure from an acute standpoint, like your arm's going to fall off. There's 20 square feet of mold. There's clearly an issue versus yeah. the model, which is more typical of what you and I see, uh, which is a house that otherwise presents well, uh, meaning visually uh, it doesn't look that problematic. And yes, there's exceptions. There's the, the moldy crawl space in the basement or the, the musty smell, yeah. um, those sorts of things. But it's just when we are fighting the good fight for chronic illness, it implies that it may be low dose. Um, it may be of a low concentration that most people are okay with. So the same home that someone's going to live to be 120 in is the same home that the wife or husband um, is is having a problem to the point of not functioning, bedridden. Um, and it's just, it's complicated because where do you throw your money at? We would be lying to those listening if we acted like this as a, as a mainstream, well-established practice. This is tip of the spear. We know a lot, but we don't know a lot because we've known it for centuries. We're learning it. We're acquiring it at a fast pace. It's been incredible. The journey has been such an opportunity. I'm doing my best to keep up with chapter one on this stuff and and just try to connect the dots all for the same reason as I want to make a change and help people. That's the, was the point of this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, the creation of it uh, was mm -hmm. to be able to no give doubt. these folks hear you give this perspective. And you mentioned something earlier. Uh, you mentioned... Uh, I think it was the, the, the HLA or the genes were the, were the gun, uh, the environment was the trigger or something to that effect. Uh, genetics is the gun uh, loaded. Yep. Not shooting any bullets. Yep. Right. And the environment, which again, depending on which HLA we talk about, is the drugs you take, right? And at one dose of antibiotics wipes out your gut biome forever, right? Right. Now, again, in naturopathic world, we try and say for, for freaking 30 years now, 300 years ago, Father Knipe said, treat the gut, treat the gut, treat the gut, right? We feed you sauerkraut. We're trying to get that gut biome back, right? The air we breathe, the, the food we eat, the chemicals we take in, right? If you want to get depressed, but also kind of fired up, watch uh, uh, The Devil We Know uh, on Netflix. That was all about uh, Teflon uh, and, and the toxin C8 which is now in, found in 99% of human blood. Great. So you, you, you go to Chinese, you pull their blood, they get C8, Australian C8. The only place they found no C8 is in blood they pulled on uh, American GIs who were in Korean War before they, the, they were exposed to Teflon in the market. Yeah, there it is. Right. Yeah. But now you're not um, using Teflon. Um, it's in your 3M uh, couch so that your wine spill doesn't screw it up. It's in your yeah. Gore-Tex that we just wore uh, in Winter Park for our ski gear, yeah. right? So, so you, we all have uh, C8 in our households somehow. And then the one that, 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 but I think there's been a lot more focus on chemical exposure. You know, Joe Pizzerno, one of the founders of Bastyr is really good about that. Um, you know, we talked about Dr. Carnahan. That's, I think, more her passion is chemical toxicity. Yeah. What people blow off is the air quality and you say tip of the spear. And I love that you're not trying to uh, cause a riot or be chicken little, but the tip of the spear is one quarter of 400 million Americans have the HLA for CIRS water damage buildings. Right. Right. One quarter. And what I love about what Richie said is there was usually like you're saying, and this is where the concept of total load in naturopathic medicine comes in, you have the gene. How many um, water damage uh, 
experiences does it take before you pull the trigger? Right. And what Richie discovered was there was usually a concomitant disturbance in the immune system. It was you were living in the moldy building for a while with the gene, then you got a really bad flu. We had a woman who um, was living in the moldy building during pregnancy, which is a wild TH1, TH2 immune confusion. Pregnancy is beautiful, it's romantic, but man, is it a crazy immune ride um, for mom. And, and then she got strep, and then she triggered SIRS. She always had it. It just was what pulled the trigger. It, it just, yes, that, 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 as we were talking before, now the transcription translation would be picked up on a genie of the genes are expressing chronic inflammatory responses. And let's, let's just call it like it is. It's another bit of, uh, I'm not trying to um, under or overvalue it, but it's another ancillary piece of data to really help support yeah. something. Because keep in mind, like maybe there's, an there's a lot of underlying questions or themes here. And I think the theme is, is how much evidence do we need to justify what protocol we have you on? If this costs yeah. one day and 10 cents, this podcast would have been over 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Just do this for a day, cost right. you 10 cents, we're done. Oh. So it's really about being able to get as much data we can to express a long-term chronic issue which is very hard uh, for a lot of people, uh, understandably so, in, in an old model of thinking to appreciate and do anything about. So they remain in that moldy or water damaged building um, and or they under, I can't tell you the number of um, clients that I walk into or even before I'll talk to them on the phone. It's kind of a, an intro. Let's get to appreciate your situation, see if I can even be of any help. They underplay leaks and you go out there and you know, I had a little leak there, but we fixed it. No problem. They're, they're, the bottom shelf of their kitchen sink is warped, you know, and it's like, it's, you know, sure. this wasn't a little leak. Um, yeah. We had a little sewage backup, but we got right on it. There's but it's loaded with contaminants. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, um, we're not suggesting that we know because you've had those events that that definitely had an exposure, but these are yeah. the low hanging fruits in the world of chronic illness. You want a yeah. high hanging fruit, try finding a little bit of mold hidden in the wall when there's no plumbing source and it's on an interior wall. You're, you're, it really is an art beyond the science that we do use. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up um, three guilty parties for me. And this is where, and again, um, I just want people to critically think more in this country. That's all I'm praying for. And um, I don't think we have a Republican problem. I don't think we have a Democratic problem. I think we have an integrity problem. And I think it, it, there's no better example of that problem than in construction practices. It is the cheesiest um, lack of integrity, no pride, uh, all about the bottom line. How do we just whip up crap, uh, collect our money and go, right? And again, it comes back to um, my dad, was, him and his sister were two of nine children who immigrated to the States in the 60s. And I have seven aunts and uncles uh, across the pond and my cousin lays tile. And when you see how that guy lays tile, it's a Picasso and he does it for him. He doesn't do it for the homeowner. It's because his ethics, his pride, his integrity is on the line. This is my work. And you leave where he tiled. It is exquisite. Right. And, and, and he always had that drive to do things right the first time. Yeah, right? we're cutting corners in the, in the world we live in. in we we are. We are. And, it's, and I'm like, when I listen to our, our politicians, I'm like, hey, guys, you're both right. 
Yes, we need safety programs. Yes, we need to uh, figure out how we're going to pay for them. There's just like everyone gets so emotional. And there's three uh, guilty parties to emotionality. There's the patient uh, or the client whose house you're evaluating. There's the IEP and there's the practitioner. Okay. What's and, it? and the only thing that I have control of is being honest with this is your obstacle to cure. And you will not get out alive until we address it. And I have to thank Dr. Richie Shoemaker for that because in 2003, we had massive floods in Boulder, Colorado. My side street here, Pitkin, was 40 foot wide, about 10 to 10 inches to two feet deep water, just a river going down. The college kids were taking their four wheelers through it and they were biking their mountain bikes through it. Then the freaking dirt, uh, the water got poopy because there was also our, our sewer system backlit and manholes were popping up. I mean, it was the most water, you know, you, you live in Colorado and you see the hurricanes in Houston or you, or you see Katrina or, or Irene because I grew up uh, going to Jersey Shore and you just say, man, it's incredible what these people go through. And then you see that amount of water. Yeah. And yeah, anyone who had a fan thought they were a mitigator. There it is. It was so intensely discussed. Oh yeah, we figured it out. We five days in, we got it cut out, you know? So you and I have had this conversation too many times where in your job, in my job, you don't want to tell people things they don't want to hear. Right. I have grown doctors I teach who can't even tell patients you can't eat gluten, right? Diagnosed on lab, you're making antibodies to gluten, non-celiac uh, gluten sensitivity. Every time you eat this, you're going to wind up inflammation in your body. It is straight in the peer-reviewed literature over and over again, how it can drive ataxia, how it can drive dementia, how it can drive heart disease, you name it. They can't make it, well, a little bit. Okay, Mrs. Smith, blah, blah. No. It's no, yeah. right? And with water-damaged buildings, until you put on your adult gonads and tell patients you will not get better until you're out of water damage, you are underserving them. So you let's stick on integrity problem. Let's let's. But, but last thing I'll say because you and I have had um, many a dinners over this topic where I need the IEPs, the indoor environmental professionals, yeah. to get real when I'm referring them a shoemaker patient. If you are a biotoxin patient, we really need to do it right the first time or else every bit of energy, every bit of money, every bit of resources we put on that case will fail. So for the benefit of the audience and playing yeah. dumb here for that purpose, yeah. tell me in your eyes what you see is really working um, from the perspective of I see an IEP doing this, this seems to be helping us get to that road for recovery, getting some action done, getting some remedial work. Where do you see that's working? Well, I don't want to take your hat. I rely on you for this, no, but, no, I'm okay but to go again, I'm big picture. And one of the coolest things about the, the service conferences, the shoemaker service conferences is um, it's half uh, indoor environmental professional day and half uh, clinician day. Right. So the IEPs sit in with the doctors and learn our world and the doctors sit in with the IEPs and we learn their world. And I could tear up with that model because I have just, I will not miss an indoor environmental professional talk. They are so good from simple things like rugs of the devil. You're just not going to do 
well with rugs, you know, again, some throw rugs and stuff like that that you can throw in with some borax, yada, 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 to, um, you, you know, how to do a roof right and to move or not to move. Just all these great talks you guys do. But what I've learned from you guys is the average real estate inspection is a whitewash to keep things selling, right? Certainly feels that way. We're, we're going to do some air samples. And again, for three quarters of the population, air quality is important for everybody. But if you're not having major physiological dysfunction in your life, I could give a rats. My kids aren't coming to play in your house. Right. Right. But um, we're not doing sleepovers over there. Right. Um, but, um, y- you know, you don't need to spend money if everyone in your family is fine. Right. right? But for that quarter of the population, doing something like air sampling and a little visual inspection is not enough. And, you know, we would, what I've learned from you guys, and again, I'm really curious if you can correct me here. Some of the concerns with air sampling is the World Health Organization's 2009 paper on on, um, microbial growth from water damage. You need to air sample for multiple days uh, multiple hours over multiple days over multiple weeks to really get accurate data. And, and I know there's um, uh, like you um, screwed some holes in some uh, wall cavities in my own home and took some air samples and it was a more concentrated um, pull of that air. And there's ways that you use air samples. That is, it, it, yeah, it's more data, but you know where you could get faked out. Right. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I think the issue is to tap on the the issue of air samples versus dust samples. Um, I've already done a podcast on it, and I'm I'm glad you brought it up because it just reemphasizes like this is what I was talking about in that other podcast. Yeah. Uh, in real life, um, is that you know typical spore trap sampling, which is arguably what many um, we'll call them mold inspectors. Um, you can call them environmental professionals will collect, and it's either a five minute air, ten minute air sample, um, but you're collecting. Uh, a sample from an inside environment that's often it's sedentary so you don't have air movement you're not having laminar flow and um eventually gravity is going to wind out which means that you're can not you, going to have uh define laminar flow because i didn't know that well so like you know it depends um you know it depends on what reference you want to use but you know anywhere to between i'm going to argue was a 90 to 120 feet per minute uh, is is the amount of air and the speed that it needs to go in order to pull something like a mold spore from location A to location B, or to keep it, uh, you could argue you can keep mold suspended by disturbing it on that carpet that you shouldn't have in the first place, that kind of thing. But eventually it's going to settle out. And so here you have this individual that comes in the home, sets a pump up, collects a sample, and Trust me, air sampling gets bashed too much. I know a few people in the industry that just make it sound like the devil. It's not the, the devil. It's that the, the people that are selling it aren't doing the education properly. That's the devil. And so it's not that they're worthless. It's that they're worth less. And so they're not detecting the mold fragments. And the mold spores that are being looked at under a microscope, which is this spore trap sample, arguably there, there perhaps is a better representation of them on the surfaces versus in the air of this sedentary environment. So, you know, I can, I can tie in like a thousand things. I'll, I'll limit it to like two or three. Take Dr. Shoemaker's work where he tried to take the EPA model of a dust sample known as ERMI and um, use, he wasn't really concerned with the graph 
that the EPA created where there's a lot of debate, and, and I would agree with the debate. I don't think it as a general tool, as a graph, it's it's appropriate. You get a lot of false positives, I think, too. But, I call it, Ermi, good, good data, bad reporting. Right, right, because individually you can look at the physiology of the mold and see, and see patterns, like orders of magnitude. You, you have to consider other factors, but what Richie did is he was saying, listen, I don't, I, number is what it is. I'm just saying whenever the patients didn't have a two or less, they didn't recover. And if their C4A levels were over 20,000, it had to be a zero or lower. And, you know, he evolved. There was another iteration comes out and published in 2011 from him and uh, Richie Shoemaker and, and David Lark. And it's this putty that, uh, study that says, well, yeah, it's, it was a good tool and it's time, but it's evolved. And we, we, we have a little bit or too much relapse that we're comfortable with. So let's, mm. let's fine tune this and create a new modeling system called Hurts Me. It looks at five criteria molds. It's not necessarily the five most toxic mold people. It's the ones mm -hmm. that were the most representative for water damage. That's the whole point of, do, are you living in a water damaged building? Who, who are we to know? We don't have a hotline to God that says, is this particular species going to affect Mrs. Smith more? Or is it going to be, you know, Mrs. Brown? And, and was this tracked in by a plumber who was just at a water damaged basement? Oh yeah. Cross contamination. It does the sample actually reflect my home. This is why the subject is so fascinating because you yeah. can go like eight locations at the same time, but on the task of air versus dust, dust yeah. was, was argued and there, there, there's plenty of older literature that reflects you know the value of a dust sample but it's it has to be recognized for its limitations too which is when you sample that dust does it represent a source in the home does it represent just legacy or buildup over months or years from an outside source does it represent the plumber's boot that you just brought up a moment ago mm -hmm. and regardless of all those options which by the way it would be nice to know all that and there's ways that you know, in other podcasts, I'll discuss how to how do we look at that. Mm -hmm. That may not matter for the clinician because it's not like Richie Shoemaker had a pair of tweezers when he was looking at the 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 the, the mold structures and the fungal fragments, which there are arguably. I'm going to do this one because I told you I brought these, um, these yeah. uh, documents up if they load up. There's arguably way more fragments in an environment for mold if we're talking about microbial sources. Um, then there are actually mold spores. And so the guy or girl that goes in there who is just looking at mold spores may miss an exposure that is in fact occurring, that is preventing recovery. Um, use the model of a CIRS person and, and that you, you get this reaction. And this is something that you've argued about to me about that you have a classic mold inspector goes out, does a couple samples, does not find the fragments. It's just, it's not identifiable in a spore trap. You can't see it. And then they say you have no problem. Now the, now the mold inspector also becomes a self-appointed uh, clinician on site and tells your patient you're fine, you're safe, there's no issue. They come back and report that to you. You give them the bad news based off of your markers, your research, what, and saying, no, you're showing exposure. No, I don't think it's the granola bar that you're eating. And, mm -hmm. and maybe it is. I, that's, your, that's part of your role. And, mm -hmm. and it's confusing. So Dust samples is probably a better measure a lot of times, but that's not without always considering what is, in fact, the question that we are asking. In fact, a lot of times I'll still take air samples because I have seen an air sample detect things that a mm -hmm. dust sample did not. Mm -hmm. So it's not a perfect world, but that's what works for me to help define exposure and help us locate sources. Uh, you use the, the example of a wall cavity sample to say, I think there was a leak here. I know there was a leak here. My mm -hmm. husband, and maybe this was the gonads comment you were talking about earlier, but my husband mm -hmm. does not want to spend 2000 3000 whatever it is, to properly 
remediate yes. that to known best standards. I wish I had some ancillary data, there it is, that we can sample in the cavity to kind of show that, yeah, no, there's a source here. And we yeah. know that wall's not hermetically sealed. And oh, by the way, we found Catonium globosum, a mold species, that's a pretty reliable, hydrophilic, water-loving mold indicator of damage. And we also found in that dust sample that um, Dr. Dorninger had you sample, gee, I wonder if this is where it may be coming from. Well, let's get it remediated. Having, mm -hmm. the, having the strength, the knowledge, the education to talk about limitations, but also to recognize some of those limitations and say, and this is why we're having you remediate this. So, so let's talk about that. So real quick, just to sum up uh, what I've learned, uh, some basics of, of air samples is you need to really sample the air in multiple areas. St uh, sucking air out of a wall cavity is probably a more concentrated experience. Um, the actual spore trap itself is too large for a lot of the molds we're looking at. Some of the molds we're looking at, like Ketomium and Stachy, tend to be dank and sticky like marijuana resin, and they're going to be more... Um, they're Dr. Dillinger Hill from Colorado, just for clarification. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, we, we hell out of the great experiment here right. um, in the Green Rush. Um, and and if, we, if we could just define limitations of both um, uh, air, air sampling, but also... Um, um, uh, Swiffer cloth dust collection, but you brought up the most important thing in my experience, which is we usually, even when we get to the data, you come out and you do everything right, and we actually find some concerns. If it elucidates that the obstacle is the husband doesn't want to deal with this, yeah, they want to stick their head in the sand and say, This is not happening, this is not happening. This, they don't want to deal with it emotionally, they don't want to deal with it financially. They could have been to the Mayo Clinic and back again, and they're already 70,000 K in, and they've been dealing with this son or this daughter who's been sick forever, right? I'm not judging that they don't want to deal with it. We just now have added the obstacle to cure is now a resistant sabotaging family member. Which, by the way, is in my practice at least when there's a spouse or partner, 50% of the issue, even yeah. if it's on a scale, like it's just, there's a little bit of resistance, but there's, there's, there is some reluctance yeah. to help. And then there's the flat out. I've seen the people get divorced in front of me. I, so it's, well, and, and if we pull back a little bit on that lens, we say, look, we're not here to judge anybody. We're here to keep that integrity, that honesty of what's driving the illness. And we spoke earlier these patients also come in with SIBO. They also come in with MCAS. They come in with these other disease processes that are absolutely not going to clear until you address SIRS. Right. right? And, and what we're figuring out with the genie, which is exciting, is are there subtypes of SIRS? Is there, like uh, Dr. Bernstein talked about in, in, in Arizona, uh, is there a mast cell activation or a high histamine SIRS patient? Uh, you, you know, we're going to be able to tease those things out. But what I can tell the audience is you're not going to finish MCAS if you're concomitantly CIRS. You're not going to finish SIBO. You need MSH to animate uh, the gut lining. Is that picture is that picture clear for you as a clinician? Like you, you're trying to navigate which thing do we tackle first to the audience member? I'm guessing they're like, I yeah. have no clue. That's why I'm paying yes. you. Yes, well, a hundred percent because we're pulling reproducible data, and that's the only reason. So again, in my differential diagnosis, uh, in some way, I'm no different than um, 
and obviously more experienced and I do this day in and day out, but I'm no different than like if I have a really smart engineer who has a critically thinking brain and really knows how to use PubMed and really starts scouring the internet and knows how to call, um, you know, uh, BS from, from quality articles that aren't trying to sell you something and they can uh, reference that to PubMed, they can start creating a differential diagnosis themselves. And a lot of times they'll say, I think I have this servicing secondary to water damage building. And I say, wow, you failed your VCS. You have uh, 10 of 13 cluster symptoms. We should for sure look at that. But by the way, a severe apnea looks exactly like SERS. Right. So it's right? about being open-minded and actually so knowing. It, it, it's, it's, I am not mold happy. And that's right. what, what, even at some of the conferences, you get people who are like, well, you also get the other side, like a Dr. Scott McMahon, our dear, our dear homeboy down in, in, in um, New Mexico who fights the good fight day in and day out. But he basically says, if you're not biotoxin, we're, we're done here, basically. And, and a lot of the people who travel to him, they are biotoxin, so they get figured out. Sure. We are a clinic of mystery illness, right? So if you're not biotoxin, I'm still saying, what are you? Right. A lot of times I get jealous of Scott. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, they were biotoxin and, and you know, you're done. Right. But um, but I don't say, oh, you're, you're you failed all the data for SIRS. So now I'm just going to say your apnea. No, we do uh, an overnight sleep study. You know, usually a SNAP, which is a three day sleep study on the kids. You can do overnight oximetry, yada, yada, yada. We had a, an airline pilot who was SIRS and apnea. And guess what? He put 40K into addressing that dishwasher you were talking about. Yeah. Then we learned, hey, I'm th I think I'm getting the hand of this. He, was, he belonged to this awesome church for 18 years that fed the homeless. And he went every week to do that. Really good stuff, right? And he says, all the ceiling tiles are hanging with water stain. Yeah. SERS markers are still high. I was super sad about that. He needed to find a new church that was safe for him. Yeah. That, that was going to be a $300,000 fix right. to, 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 to clean that place up. So that was sad. So he did that and all his SERS markers normalized. He still wasn't feeling good. Then we screened him for apnea. Uh, today we had screened him for apnea much quicker and he was also apnea. So we had two building exposures. Then the SERS markers finally came down. C4A, TGF, beta, MMP9 normalized. But he, but he still wasn't well, right? If that was just a SERS case, he's better, right? Yeah. So, so in bringing that back to what we, we were just talking about, the whole thing uh, drives on integrity, right? And why I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for Dr. Shoemaker really is if we didn't have the heavy lifting he did to prove the pathway and to prove that, um, the, 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 the protocol works. Um, I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with mold. Yeah. I, I couldn't do the woo woo kind of like, I mean, when I first got into this and I was evaluating whether I wanted Dr. Shoemaker to be my mentor and guide on SIRS, I was reading stuff like put an onion in your basement. It will attract the spores mm -hmm. and make the basement mold free. There you have it. So, so, I mean, and listen, if you, I was SERS illiterate, I was mold illiterate too, as a doctor, where everyone in my house is fatigued, my, my, my little guy with double dreaded gene, he was so 
profoundly sick and got so awesomely better when we did the protocol. I thought we were off to Children's Hospital for juvenile rheumatoid arthritis because he had this chronic joint pain, headache, tummy pain, and, and constant fatigue. And there's so many days of school. We cleaned up the home. We got him through the protocol and everything resolved, right? So, so I got to see it firsthand. But if it wasn't for Dr. Shoemaker's reproducibility, we wouldn't have reproducible data markers to say you're SIRS or you're not. And that's what prevents us from being mold happy. Now we have things like the Neuroquan, the Genie, that are, that are saying, oh, you're SIRS secondary to water damage building and you're SIRS secondary to Lyme tick bite. Right. Or, you know, it's not a water damage building issue. You're not showing those inflammatory markers. It's a Lyme tick bite or it's hysteria from the Chesapeake Bay or, you know, so on and so forth. Right. And that's, that's, that is the salivating part for at least the IEPs. Eventually that'll evolve into something um, commercial that we can use um, to sample with and where we, we have meaning. I get a lot of clients will call us up as, do you know, do you do mycotoxin testing? Because a lot of folks are doing the urine analysis, which by the way, I'm not, I don't want to debate about that. I know there's mm. pros and cons and there's different methodologies. Here's my point. You got to be able to understand how to interpret it. Like what's a normal background environment. It's not like molds and we've been picking on molds. I want to pick on a couple other quick things other than that. Can I say a quick thing about urinary mycotoxin testing? Go for it. There is no reproducible validation to show that that is diagnostic of SIRS or that uh, it, it, it sets you on a path to any treatment that graduates patient. Okay. So now imagine, imagine that client, um, you know, they're struggling, which is a lot of folks that are working with you. You are one of the few doctors that I know that are rigid, uh, to put it nicely, uh, yeah. for a good reason. Uh, uh, I would call it honest. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Okay. We're honestly rigid. Yeah. And rigid that's, honest. Well, yeah. No one appreciates it until yeah. they recover and then, then they thank you. Um, they, that person maybe in their journey, um, heard about some test, they go do it. Uh, it's called a urine, it's an urine analysis. They send it to a couple of well-known labs, comes back and um, it shows some exposure, whether or not it's reproducible, whether or not as a clinician, you can use that. You, it, a lot of times it still trickles down to the IEP. And I will tell you that for the IEPs that are listening right now, the word mycotoxin is starting to be used as just as much as mold spores now. I mean, it's, it's yeah. right there. And, 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 and that's the problem is it's about the, when you have integrity, and you um, have passion, you are probably going to be a, a good enough IEP because you, at that moment, you'll be able to explain to the client, well, we don't know what a normal background level is. We, we can't measure your exposure based off of the limitations or sensitivity limitations of the equipment doing the analysis. Not, we don't have a study that's uh, at least other than from stuff from third world country that I've heard ha has come from other docs to, to say, this is what we would expect. Cause no one wants to hear you should have this many mold uh, mycotoxins in their home as background any more than they want to hear. This is normal fungal ecology in your home. No one wants to hear it, but that's a reality. You, it's not about mold free and it's about the education beyond integrity. I guess that's my segue is a good IEP and what works for uh, what has worked for me is you said it, honesty, but ex explanation, education, explaining mm -hmm. what we know, what we don't know, and why, regardless of whether we test, say we do an ERMI sample or a Hertzme sample or some sort of a gram-negative positive bacteria-type sample, um, 
are we going to still recommend remediation because we know the more of the, the bigger picture fundamentals, like pick, let's pick on a crawl space. Crawl spaces are arguably, I know Colorado seems like likes to hail more basements than crawl spaces, but even for those of, you know, in the California area, crawl spaces are the big thing. And I've, I've yet to find a, a crawl space that doesn't have a, a moisture issue to a level that we're worried about communication from the crawl space through the subfloor through various pathways penetrations um, in the home and some homes are so bad that a homeowner will just kind of casually tell me this would be like a person was diagnosed CIRS or what you know I get a musty smell in our in our master bedroom and that's where there's the service access door to the crawl space and I'm and and I feel worse it's it's, it's a classic sometimes it can be linear you know you yeah. can look at it and go well I can't prove this like a murder case but you know, yeah. you, you got this big elephant in the room that maybe you want to address. And it's easy when the solution is $20 in weather stripping around the access panel door to prevent that pathway or to minimize it. But sometimes that's not enough. It becomes an issue when you tell a client they need, they need to install some sort of um, moisture barrier, dehumidification, and exterior drainage solutions around their crawl space that may equal $30,000. Um, and that's the tough road to hoe. And that's the you know, mm -hmm. not to keep on bringing up the word gonads, but I think that is, uh, that this is truth. This is hard talk because this is often what people struggle with the most. It's not yep. the easy thing that I can point at. It's the stuff that we know can affect you. You know, when you go in the crawl space to get out your seasonal holiday stuff that it, you're down for the count from two weeks, but you, you stay away from the crawl space, but you don't want to spend the money to fix it. You're not getting the obstacle out of the way and, or an obstacle out of the way. And you're wondering why you're not recovering following some protocol that has the data to show it worked. It's repeatable. Yeah, that's it. I, I, who is that? Is it Allstate? Uh, Mayhem? They do the character yeah. Mayhem? Yeah, right. I, we, you and I could go off on like 50 SIRS commercials and be like, I'm a crawl space that yeah. wasn't rented properly. <laughs> you know, and, or, or you could be like, I'm a gutter and yeah. I'm a stoned Colorado roofer and I smoked too much weed that day and didn't put in the gutter right. You that's know, right. it's like, and it all comes back to uh, the integrity of construction practices is the biggest uh, uh, issue here. And construction and defects, yeah. If you have the gene and you don't get the exposure, who builds flat roof buildings? We like, do in Arizona. It does what we do in schools, right? And then we're like, now Timmy needs Ritalin and Jenny wants to kill herself. Right. And why don't we pull SERS markers on those kids? You know, what I find with the level of depression and suicidal ideation, a lot of those cases are SERS. And I will self-disclose my story of having a flagrantly elevated MMP9 and how I wanted to drive my car into a telephone pole because I was so flagrantly depressed from a chemical marker. You know, you and I are both blue-collar backgrounds who graduated to middle class and, 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 and get to live... Um, uh, a blessed life and, and we're passionate about what we do and my life circumstances at this point are really reasonable you shouldn't want to drive your car into a telephone pole right if your mmp9 uh, hits 1023 your blood brain barrier is broken open inflammation is spilled into the brain you have brain on fire you will not feel good right and and i think it's so important to just pull that whole conversation back to an integrity issue. And if someone spends $700 on urinary mycotoxin testing, I try and have the grace to sincerely slow down the conversation and say, you know, I'm not here to pick on any practitioners. I'm just telling you 
I'm bummed we spent $700 on a test that we could have used toward mitigation. Well, you're, but you're, and you're true in that, okay. That, this, this is the, that, we don't have time to waste money on misdiagnoses. We don't have time to waste because, and, and, and hold your thought because I want to hear it, but, but as, as, as kind of blue collar background guys who made it to the middle class, I'm sure you feel a sense of relief when you get on a house and you're like, this family's affluent enough to do the testing I actually need to hold honesty and integrity on, did this building truly get a shakedown? Did I really evaluate this building so I can give them clean diagnostics? And even then, we know we've had you on cases where you were the hero of the day, and that's nine out of 10 times. And then there's about 10% that despite all the tools, despite having your brain, we're still not going to find every water damage exposure unless we do. Um, you're not, you're not only right and that, but we go, that's the difference between me and the other guy is that, and, and there's other good colleagues that practice the same discipline is yeah. for those 10%. Part of that story also includes knowing that limitations with the client ahead of time, not surprising them at the very end. And then saying, by the way, maybe there's something here that we can do holistically. Think of it like your equivalent in clinic uh, practice as good dieting or more yoga. Um, maybe there's a timing issue. Uh, likewise, you don't, you don't crack somebody's neck with high inflammation, just like you don't necessarily clean a house. Um, uh, maybe if there's 20 square feet of mold uh, you know, on, the, on the living room wall, you might want to address that first and, or else it's redundant or not as effective. But are there ways in a more humid climate, we need to get that moisture level down? Are there filtration methods available to help lower smaller particles that won't settle out with gravity and diffuse like smoke in the environment, knowing that good house cleaning efforts are also part of that plan. Can we bring in fresh air, uh, mechanical yeah. fresh air from the outside done the right way to dilute the contaminants that an air filter won't collect? Um, can, you, can you expand upon that? Because I think there's, we've had three cases, uh, three clients you've been in where that's made a difference um, with, your, with your leadership on that. that that's an important I think I think the issue is is eventually whether or not we've we've it's all about the term I use is drawing the line in the sand and and people ask me where do you draw the line in the sand well I go I don't not as your doctor but as an IEP I go where the 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 history and or the visual evidence stops so mm -hmm. if if there's evidence of a problem I'm going to pursue it but you know I'm not going to say to you because there's a lot of fear factor and there's a lot of scare tactics uh, right or wrong mm -hmm. uh, social media is really causing a lot of grief. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another podcast um, that, you know, says, you know, you need to rip the whole building down. It's like, no, the, no building, first of all, is a, is a bubble, a sterile bubble. It's, it's about, mm -hmm. is it enough? Is it clean enough? So when you get to the point where you've identified potential sources and or pathways and you have addressed them, there's thousands yeah. of examples that we're not going to go into right now. You start yeah. to also get into the issue of sustainability. Now yeah. it's now. So think of it as a two prong approach. Uh, prong one is assessment and diagnosis of the home and removal of that obstacle. Phase mm -hmm. two is prevention of it happening in the, in, in the future. Mm -hmm. And so it's with air filtration, what we're trying to do is say, we're not trying to sell you a bill of goods here. We don't think mm -hmm. that if you put a portable air filtration device, I think they all work pretty darn good, to be honest with you. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's a difference between that and purification, which if we have time, we'll get into mm -hmm. versus a whole house system where you have a furnace or a heat pump and you put that standard little filter in there. This is a part of the whole. And I learned this actually from one of the high value clients uh, that you're, you were referring to where that was the mm -hmm. phrase she loved to use was it's part of the whole. Air filtrations is part of the whole. It's saying there mm -hmm. are smaller particles 
that are, that's, can stay suspended and do stay suspended. Think about those mold fragments we were talking about sooner that mm -hmm. can be removed. I'm not worried about 99.97% at three microns. Great, let's get you there with a nice, good, efficient filter, but it's not like 85% mm -hmm. sucks. And keep mm -hmm. in mind, that's per pass. And so mm -hmm. you want to filter the air to totally lower the total load or burden of particulate. Mm -hmm. And usually it's going to be the smaller particles that don't fall with gravity to mm -hmm. lower the potential of exposure. Because when your doctor tells you about mold spores, when they talk to you about mold fragments, when they talk to you about mycotoxins, when they talk to you about chemicals, a lot of these things combine on particles. They attach. There's some sort of a, you know, a positive negative attraction or what, a bond, a weak bond of sort, and that can get removed from the environment. But if you mm -hmm. don't clean your house up, you don't wipe down mm -hmm. the, in, the home on an environmental on a regular basis, that filter is not going to remove those particles, but they're still there and they still can get resuspended. So that, that addresses that part. Mm -hmm. But you're waiting for me to talk about mechanical ventilation. Sometimes... Mm -hmm. Uh, well, a lot of times, uh, uh, an air filter can't remove the, even the lighter weight. You know, we haven't taken the time just yet to elaborate on the fact that CIRS-WDB, water damage building, isn't just picking on mold or even microorganisms. It includes other potential inflammatory agents like VOCs, volatile mm. organic compounds. Well, a lot of these, whether they're man-made, like from paints or building materials, Mm -hmm. That may be off-gassing or MVOCs, microbial VOCs um, uh, that are coming from presumably an active source. They're not going to be mm -hmm. removed um, effectively uh, with your standard Home Depot uh, one-inch pleated mm -hmm. air filter. And so we incorporate outdoor fresh air. And that's a relative term because you, if you're living in an industry in the, in the burbs of Chicago that may not, or Detroit, mm -hmm. you know, you may not get such clean air. But for a lot mm -hmm. of people, they're fortunate, regardless of, you know, how high up on the hill they're living, to have mm -hmm. the ability to bring in that air. You still mm -hmm. want to filter it. What if it's a high pollen count day? Um, mm -hmm. You still want to dry it out if you're in a more humid climate. Um, mm -hmm. You want to warm it up. What if we're in Colorado and it's in the, middle, uh, in the winter? I don't want really cold air coming into my, my ductwork system and causing uh, a number of issues, including heating and comfort issues. You, you, you have equipment like heating recovery ventilators and energy recovery mm -hmm. ventilators, mechanical ventilation devices that can bring in this fresh air and dilute or purge. Uh, sometimes a combination of both that mm -hmm. those contaminants that build up in your home because remember everybody we live in boxes mm -hmm. so things build up they there you know if you got 10 units of contaminant a outside you're probably going to have more than 10 inside mm -hmm. unless there's some atypical cause of why you wouldn't but you normally have more so you're you're hitting this from multiple parts to holistically mm -hmm. address the home and mm -hmm. the top three well i should say four um, where applicable for your climate, and that's really just the moisture one, is regulating moisture. Uh, you'll hear different levels. We typically say, I, you'll hear me a lot of times say less than 50%. 40 to 60% relative humidity is a pretty safe margin. And it also kind of is the best of a lot of different worlds like reduction of dust mites, um, uh, mm. not low enough to be worried about viruses uh, or exposure in drier climates or respiratory issues. We're worried about filtration. That's the second thing, filtering the air. Somebody asked me, well, I put a MERV 16 in our furnace. Do you think we should buy a portable one for my son's bedroom? I usually say, go for it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, it's overkill or not overkill, but right. if you're wanting to further reduce the load and mm -hmm. maybe it's helpful, try it out. See if they got a 30-day mm -hmm. money-back guarantee. Problem solved. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then, and then of course you got the third thing, which is mechanical ventilation to dilute, further dilute and purge. And in some applications, even provide a little bit of a protective invisible barrier, this pressure boundary where you're trying to keep this, these pathways and these driving forces that want to go into the home at bay. It's not like a shield, something out of a superhero's movie, but it's just a, a, a long-term holistic, like eating healthy or uh, pr preventative. And then finally it's, it's, it's living, it's lifestyle. If you are somebody with old carpeting, if you're a hoarder, if you've got a lot of surface areas, the, mm. that, that, it's not that we think you're sniffing or snorting or licking those surfaces, but it, that contributes mm -hmm. to the total picture. And yeah. your miracle air filtration unit that's tucked in the corner in your living room is not just going to suck all the particles out of the air. They're not going to beeline it towards the filter. They're going to mm -hmm. diffuse somewhat the way they're going to go. And, and that's why it, you can't tell somebody, well, if you just put a better filter in there, you're probably going to solve everything. Usually it's multi-pronged for the people that can afford it. They'll usually do all of it. The, what we try to do is not leave those hanging when they're on a week to week budget. We try to find, well, what is the low hanging fruit? Well, I don't know what the low hanging fruit is. If you live in Hawaii, maybe the low hanging fruit is your moisture control. But if you're in Colorado, we're not really worried about moisture control. Maybe it's lifestyle changes before you're throwing two, three thousand dollars towards these types of equipment. Yeah, that's. I just learned a lot. I, I'm going to have to. That's why there's a rewind button. Well, I'm going to have to think about about 15 things that just came up that we're going to have to refine later. Yeah, maybe podcast um, episode two. Maybe podcast episode two. Um, but in sum, there, there there's a couple things I'd like to add off off what you just said. See now my personal experience is even if you're socio socioeconomically uh, incapable of doing what you need to do to get better, that's still the truth. And what I found other practitioners do is they try and come up with shortcuts that do not work, that spend money anyway, even if it's 10, 20% of the money, we need to do it right the first time. And I much would rather pose this is the honest problem uh, concomitantly an honest problem is we don't have the money to do it. Now it puts a potential solution on the table where maybe we can get uh, an affluent uncle in to sponsor something. Maybe we do realize that that house isn't going to work for them and we need to find some Section 8 older housing that's a new build, right? I I'd rather stay integral with what the problem is than cut corners uh, to watch poor people never get access to better health, right? No. And I'm, I'm the first to admit, um, if you have the financial resources to fix buildings, you, you have a better chance at this. But what I found even more important is attitude. And if, if you find people who are lower middle class, I mean, again, if you're totally indigent, maybe this is a different conversation, but even in our lower middle class, if you're willing to prioritize what you need to do, right? You're not low, um, uh, low, low, lower socioeconomic class and walking into our, our office with an iPhone 10, right? Because right. there's that story too where people are tight on money, but the way they prioritize their money isn't to get to clean building. And that's where we just try and keep the conversation honest throughout. That's all I really want. And then I want to teach people how to be empowered, not panicked. And I think what you're bringing to the table is this concept of naturopathic medicine, which is total load. So there's lots of straws that add up to break the camel's back on a building. And maybe if we can't get out of the building, um, but we have 900 bucks, 
we buy a uh, IQ Air professional series and put that in that sick child's bedroom and at least start turning over air in that 10 by 12 room. Right. right. And we, and we get into the, we get into the weeds, Eric, because you start, and, and I mean, as a solution, you're saying, well, can we talk to the apartment management and talk about mm -hmm. removing that carpet? Because we right. also know that that would help you further with the reduction of particulate and then let's track symptoms or whatever it is that you're right. working with your clinician on to show progress or exposure. Yeah. And I want to share something that I've been observing anecdotally. And I mean, this anecdotally is a sicker, quicker phenomenon. We are not seeing if we can get people truly in clean buildings for six months. And, and, and where you come in is we're trying to create an air palace for someone to come home to. Okay. You're spending at least eight hours there to sleep. You're spending more hours there to just hang out on the weekends, to, to do dinner together, yada, yada, yada. And if we can get um, all of your buildings clean for six months, I've noticed the HLA anecdotally, and, and, and we want to start pulling data on this. I'm, I'm hiring a, a new doc for fall 2020, and she has a lot of um, uh, uh, data mining experience. But what I've been seeing anecdotally is if we can get six months, we really kind of put the jack back in the box in regards to those genetics, in regards to the HLA. So nice. the bullet goes back into the chamber, yep. right? And then what I see is people can get a little bit more building liberal. They can use cholestyramine and Wellcall and BIP and EDTA silver to, to kind of triage those exposures so they can live a little bit again. Um, but we have to stay honest with the conversation. We have to be empowered, not panicked. Right. I'm actually going to speak to the um, mold support group in Colorado. And one of my biggest um, uh, topics I want to uh, get across them is SIRS doesn't define you as a human being. It's something you need to get honest with. You need to get real. You need to dig deep. You need to pull on every financial resource you need to to get through it. But then once you get through it, your, your world can expand. And we don't want you, uh, if you come back to the mold group, we want you to be a leader on optimism and uh, dedication and the grit and grind you needed to get to the other side, but to display to people like myself, I am now a functioning, cognitively intact, non-depressed, non-suicidal, non-joint uh, pained uh, human being who can go crush some jujitsu and CrossFit and go take care of my dad and uh, try and be a good dad myself and so on and so forth. So I think we also get into people are, are, are finding this illness as their identity and it's very dangerous. You don't want to identify as a service person. Well, you and look at and look at why they're doing it. I mean, I, I know we won't go five minutes deep in it, but just to say, yeah. a lot of it is they don't know they're they're lost. You you. I'm yeah. not saying this mainly. I'm saying this more. To well, the it's audience. the three guilty parties again, right? That's right. It's, That's right. It's, it's you the need add, you need to add social media uh, to that. Well, too. we could add social media to that. We know stories about the moldy movie and 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 some of the intention behind that movie even right. though good tool of awareness there is some dark intention and i'm glad you brought that up because i feel personally that people can be predatory to any disease you take cancer patients you take uh, mold victims you take lyme victims and we are uh tired we are gullible we are desperate we are scared and and that is the perfect um person for the predator Right. Yeah. And, and again, why you and I got, got on so well from the beginning, I'm like, this guy cares about 
um, doing things right. He cares about people. He needs to make a living for his family, but he doesn't need to drive the Tesla. He just wants to see people graduate. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and we can do that in an empowered way, in a way that's not panicked. And, and I love uh, sometimes in the appropriate uh, manner, self-disclosing the story of my family of dreaded genes and that we all, my son plays soccer and, and basketball and football. My other does parkour and we're all dreaded genes. Yeah. Right? And again, we can't go to a school that is documented moldy and expect everyone's healthy. We can't have our own home uh, unfixed water damage and expect to, to, to live the way we're functioning right now. Right. When I we just got back from Winter Park, and guess what we rented? We rented a new build condo, right? <laughs> that was statistically my best chance. And on Airbnb, it said, uh, don't mind the non-five-star. We, we just put our place on the market. And I actually did a little real estate research and saw that those are just developed. Sad to say, when we left, one of the windows had a little bit of crack caulk, a little bit of water staining, but the place was totally fine because there probably wasn't enough time yet for this to turn into a mold brew stew. Right? So, so. You, nailed, you nailed the whole thing about not letting this thing um, define you. Um, I, I understand that there's, there's the outliers, the people that are really in bad shape, and, but yeah. that, that's not what I'm seeing uh, subjectively yeah. as the theme. I, I've had the true privilege to work with either virtually or on boots on the ground with it's got to be now thousands of, of, of clients. And the theme is more that people do have control of their life. Um, but, but they know that something's not right, but there are the outliers and usually the outliers are the ones that are running from a mold spore got news from you uh, for you. Uh, since yeah. you've been listening to us talk, you've inhaled a bunch and you, and that's just normal and your body, you don't live in a bubble and are, uh, I won't rehash totally everything you said, but that's, that is a huge point. You talk about truth is having to re, um, reel back in or pull people off the ledge of, yeah. of being that susceptible. We were, we even are start, we even start talking about, I'm going to do the best I can to explain the science of this and the physiology of this. But beyond that, maybe there's some neural retraining. Um, I don't know what your opinion is on that, but I've heard a lot I've of subjective really seen things like DNRS. If people commit to it as a complementary therapy, um, be profoundly beneficial. Right. Basically yeah. the, the 30 second, and I'm sure I'll butcher this so you can correct me, Eric, is basically it's just, it's kind of addressing that, um, flight or fight mechanism and really having you have understanding and control of how you, um, mentally, I know there's a, a better word for it, respond to a thought or a concern and, and you do it in a healthy way. It's not about ignoring something. It's just about redefining what it actually is. Well, I would say, um, and we don't have the data yet to show the logistics of it, but the immune system is under the control of the uh, brain, right? And, right? and the brain is under the control of the immune system, right? So uh, we're probably going to see that some of this brain retraining helps dampen um, genetic expression of chronic inflammation. We don't have proof for that, but that's probably what is happening. I will say the reverse, where I've never seen DNRS heal a SERS patient. Right. You it's, it's only it. the shoemaker protocol. You have to remove the obstacle of cure. And I so, think our audience knows that, though. I mean, unless yeah. there's something we don't know, yeah. I don't think that anybody heard DNRS or what is yeah. the cure. It's just another oh, good tool. I've now. seen it be amazing and, and even just get people off the the um, the PTS of SIRS of, yeah. of being scared of everybody. Empowered and panic, you walk into a cafe, it smells like a wet dog, it's not your cafe. You walk back out. You right. don't 
right? Um, you're watching your kid play basketball at a school that's uh, a little bit funky. You're going to reboot your cholestyrum and your well call. You know, there, there, there's, there's ways to do this. You're not, two weeks later, you still feel like dog do. You call uh, Dorninger's office and we pull some markers to see if C4A and MMP9 went batshit again on you. You know, um, your life is not over. It's no, not like, it, it's most, just, yeah, most of our patients get healthier than they've ever been before if we can follow the, the protocols simply. So I got to go run and jump in a cold river, literally, yeah. for a yeah. birthday party. That's um, my buddy turned 42 and he wants to go for a hike and then, and then do a little Wim Hof. That's um, fine. Before I go, let me just ask you for the audience benefit. So I know you're in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Um, if folks are looking for you in state, I'm guessing this is the best way to reach you. Yeah, drdorninger.com. Um, what we do is a 10-minute free consult for potential new patients. I just want to screen to make sure uh, we're highly likely to help you. There are things that I don't do. If you're calling me for complimentary approach to breast cancer, uh, we don't do cancer. Sometimes we're the first uh, uh, responder to find it uh, in our diagnostics. But I, I interview you. I make sure you understand we do not cut corners. Um, we don't make a penny on labs, but um, if... We do bill insurance for labs, but some of those labs are not covered that we need on a, on a mystery illness case. Uh, they're mom and pop companies. You got to know what you're in for financially. It makes no sense for you to come in if I can't get my diagnostics. Everything else is just, these are the things I think it is, and I bet about 60, 70% right. 30 to 40%, I'm off, and the data saved the day, as uh, Dr. Shemaker would say. And then the third criteria is, are, are you willing to follow a treatment plan? Um, you know, and, and that can be, again, it can be, you run into it a hundred times where some husband goes like, this is, we're not doing anything. I'm fine in this house. And I have to say something politely like, Hey, if you ever want to get late again and, uh, want your wife to have libido. And by the way, remember your name. Cause she, she could be going into in, inhalation dementia. Um, you'll listen to what we're finding on the data here and why she didn't get figured out at Mayo and 10 other, 10 other places. Um, but it sucks when you get to a diagnosis and then people aren't resourced to do the treatment plan. Um, they're not willing to do the treatment plan. There's resistance players in their relational dynamics to the treatment plan, so on and so forth. So what so about those people, your, what about, yeah. sorry, I just want to say, what about the people that are not local? Because I know there's going to be people that are listening yeah. that like your model, yeah. like your approach. What if they're in yeah. Arizona or well, New York? So about a third of our practice is out of state. And um, for malpractice insurance and a hundred other reasons, you come and see us once. We, we have the whole, I call it medical tourism thing figured out where the staff takes care of you, to, uh, shows you some new build hotels um, that you, you come and see us, you stay overnight, um, and then we pull your blood the next morning and then we can do a lot of telemedicine because I've seen you in person. We'll also often have you get your first heart scan and crowded ultrasound because we don't want to win the battle, lose the war. You're all better from serves and you premature stroke or heart attack on us. Right. right? So we might, um, things like sleep, sleep studies, we can ship to your house. Um, we do have a facility that does neuroquant. Um, and we can pull Genie for the most complicated cases. Now, because of Genie's costs, we're not doing Genie on everybody. I'd love that data. Um, as you know, Genie is just getting rolled out. It's just getting refined. But we do have a handful of SERS patients who are doing everything right, and they're not better yet. It's about 5%, and that's who we're using the Genie on at this point. Absolutely. What are we missing? And I, and I bet 
as you know from the conference, we're probably going to see there's an actinomyces exposure or there's uh, an endotoxin exposure that that we're not picking up with traditional IEP methods yet, no. you know, and and have to get into some of the funkier stuff. So that's certainly the hope and the goal. And, and listen, Eric, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy yeah. man. Yeah, but so we lot. have to keep it rolling. It's it's for you and I. It's overwhelming. And yeah. we've dedicated our lives to this, right? Yeah. And we have so many chapters. I don't think people n- know that you did HVAC before doing all this, right? Yeah. If you have someone who did um, blue-collar boots on the ground construction or HVAC, they have such an advantage as an IEP because they know how to think like water. Yeah. They know how to think like uh, bad construction practice problems. They, they saw it getting built uh, improperly. Uh, Same thing with me. I graduated into SERS. We figured out a lot of other pathways that cause illness, but about 50% of our mystery illness cases, no one knows why the heck they're ill, still come back to SERS WDB. Then we get into about 10, 20% are SERS from other biotoxin sources. And then the others aren't SERS. We're not SERS happy. It's just the criteria is so defined and it's so easy to, um, to identify. And uh, the difficulty is the, the treatment of remove patient from exposure. Your world is where it gets uh, wild, <laughs> wild. And, yeah. and adventurous. Wild West. Yeah. Wild West. It's, um, it's beyond, beyond the science of, of my practice and your practice it, it is an art. And uh, I don't re- honestly know of too many clinicians. Uh, I can count them on one hand who have a heart. And I mean this sincerely as big as yours. And you're, you're real, you're human. And this is the, one, the biggest compliment I ever get from people about my own approach is the humanistic part, putting it down, getting it down to their level, but, but not just, you know, bar napkin idea in it, like really showing the science and then just putting it together. Eric is one of those people. Uh, if you are interested and reaching out to him. You can see his website on, um, on the screen right now. I'm going to list his information on the podcast information as well. Um, and hopefully in the future, well, I'm sure we could probably go like another 20 rounds on yeah. podcasting with this guy. So I look forward to speaking. Well, to well I, I love that, um, that you, you feel that because we want people to feel comfortable. We want them to feel safe. We also want them to know, know the honest truth. And I think if you're um, working with a heroin addict and you, you've never done heroin, you're limited. Right. As when I work with SERS patients, I'm a dreaded gene. I married a dreaded gene. We made a single dreaded gene, older child, a double dreaded gene, younger child. We've had 41 isolated um, water damage experiences in one home. I had one of the most top 10 difficult Marcon's cases known to man. God wants me to know biotoxin illness. And when you're an academic and you study that, but you really have the blue collar experience, you're a weirdo if you don't feel for this patient population. Right. You know, well, that's the, what they're missing. They need, they need that. They need the glue that yeah. holds it together. And that's no, where a lot of it. general practice, it, even poor bedside manner from somebody who can be brilliant yeah. can get in the way yeah. uh, of, 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 of the ultimate goal, which is recovery. Yeah. Because meanwhile, you, 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 you misinterpreted something, but you had a Facebook friend who's acting like a doctor for everybody. Cause they had one episode and they're, they're yeah. projecting that this is the case for everybody. And you're just lost yeah. you need to have somebody who's got, who can be the beacon, who can be the captain. And yeah. it's folks like you um, working in the field 
helping not just them, but helping us better understand, okay, here's where we need to focus on. Here's, here's where you're seeing it. It's just the nickel dime, the discounting uh, of a sample or the limitation of a sample, but making it like th there's no problem when really there is a problem because old traditional methodology of sampling in an environment comes from uh, industry where we were looking for acute exposures. This may be what some of the people listening right now have had happen to them, which is typically why with you and me, by the time we hear from somebody, they've already been through a slew of other people. We're not typically the first phone call. No, and I wish we were because it's, it's wasted time and money. And um, I don't hold that against anyone. This is complicated stuff. And you, you got to be willing to dedicate your life to understanding the, the nuances. So, Absolutely. you know, for those who are out there dealing with SIRS, hang in there and, and find someone who can uh, do their best to accurately get to diagnosis and treatment. And then also address some of the comorbidities. But if you don't get the SIRS out of the way, you're futzing around with all the other pathology. Eric, so, thank you. Thank you for your yeah, time and your wisdom. Michael, right back at you. Uh, to be continued. Yeah, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Good to see you, brother. All right. of this show is for informational purposes and represents the sole opinion of the host and its interviewees only. Any reliance on the information provided in this show is done at your own risk. Additional opinions and or research may change our current view of the topics spoken in this show. We do our best to minimize any inaccuracies presented and make legitimate efforts to back all comments with our own field experience, independent literature, or studies that support the topics discussed. This information should not be used to make conclusive decisions regarding your health or exposure. Ultimately, all questions and or concerns regarding your health should be addressed by a qualified physician. Additional exposure concerns and or questions pertaining to the health of your home or building should be addressed by qualified and on-site professionals. Any and all products and services discussed in this show should not be construed as a recommendation, endorsement, or guarantee that their use is appropriate for your situation. In short, we hope this information is of value to you, but please do not act upon it without actual and individual consultation and guidance by professionals who have taken the time and appropriate collection of data to assess your unique situation.